You can't forget, people think it's a passive behaviour. They either don't, they're unaware, or they ignore the wider social consequences of what they're doing. There's one thing, there's no friends in drugs. There's no friends whatsoever. What you get, you pay for. End of, you know. Um, and if you can't pay, well, then your family can pay. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It's a stark message to young people who believe that they are just having fun. But community worker Philip Jennings says that every recreational user of cannabis or cocaine has blood on their hands. And his Think Before You Buy initiative has been rolled out in schools across his native Blanchardstown. Now, he's hoping for government backing to bring his message further and to turn what he calls a tide of casual drug use, which he says is feeding into a cycle of gangland violence, intimidation and murders. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Philip, sort of somebody who goes out on the weekend and they're in a pub and having a good time and they decide they want to have an even better time and they put their hand in their pocket and they buy a bag of Coke and they see themselves really as just people having a bit of crack. They don't see the bigger issue that you do. Where would you say that amount of money is going? Well, first of all, you're correct in saying like people think it's a passive behaviour, that it's affecting nobody. I'm just doing a line of coke or two with my friends and that's it, you know. Um, so then you have to say, well, where did this cocaine come from? What happened to, you know, how did it get to the process from, you know, from the growing plant up my nose, you know? So if you go to uh, all the countries that it's produced in, you know, um, Mexico and all those kind of countries. It comes through Mexico, it comes across the, the sea, it comes through all the ports, all the, the, the distribution network. Um, anything that's lost or stolen or, you know, there's, there's a huge price to pay for it, you know. There's drugs wars right across uh, the world, if you like, to get to, you know, you in the jacks or wherever you're, you're using your little bit of cocaine and thinking it's a passive behaviour. Mm. Now, that's kind of on the on the supply side of it. The one direction. The one direction. But then on the other side, um, you have to ask, well, where is your, you know, 100 or 200 euros going? Who's it going to? And then what sort of pain and, and heartache is that causing? Mm. You know, so it's not passive. It's not harmless. You know, you might be doing it to yourself and thinking it's, it, it's causing no, no harm. But just open your eyes and have a look around. There's mm. plenty of harm caused by people recreationally using drugs. And it would also, the money, the direction the money's going in, also then gives an incredible power to people who we as a society don't want to have power. Absolutely, yeah. Well, if you if you kind of think, you know, uh, you see all the, uh, how many people have been killed, you know, over drugs. Um, and again, like looking at it from my perspective or from a community safety perspective, I mean, if you look at young Anthony Campbell, mm-hmm. like he was only 18 years of age, uh, 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 a plumber's apprentice over in Fingness. And someone went in to shoot Barlow Island. 
Now they did. But then they shot Anthony Campbell on the way out just in case he might, you know, tell someone. Now there's numerous examples of Anthony Campbell. You know what I mean? Young Melanie McCarthy over in Tala. She was only 16 years of age and she was blasted to death with a shotgun. And there's then been uh, mistaken identities in the north in our city, in, 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 down in Limerick, you know, and then Trevor O'Neill over in Marbella in Spain. I mean, these people were all mistaken identities. They didn't use drugs. They had nothing to do with the drugs uh, world, if you like. But this is all to control an area in which drugs are sold. Now, you might say, oh, yeah, but I only use it the weekend. And uh, you might think then, well, look, it's all the people who have problematic or addicted or are addicted to drugs. They're the ones that's causing all the trouble. They're the most visible, I, I, I agree, in society. You see them, poor unfortunates, on the boardwalks and you see them in all the cities and the big towns and right across the country. It's not. It is. It's, it's a probably more manifest in Dublin because there's probably more services and they gravitate to Dublin uh, for that reason. But it's from every corner of uh, of Ireland that they come. Um, so if you look at the statistics for people in treatment, you know. So very often, as a society, we think it's the people who are addicted to drugs that are the big major problem. But we have, on average, of about ten thousand people in treatment. Now, that's the only measure we can take, accurate measure of the people who have problematic drug use. And then uh, there's about another 10,000 we, as let's say drugs workers, uh, estimate that we'd like to see in treatment. Mm -hmm. So in actual fact, that's about 20,000 people for the whole country who would have an active drug addiction. Now, there may be more, there may be less, but that's an average, okay? But and if the you ones look, you'd like to see in treatment, they're affecting... The family lives through oh, yeah, possibly through violence addiction. through yeah. um you know well, affecting everybody because um what they will do to get their drugs you know what i mean they'll they'll rob they'll steal they'll do all sorts of things just to get the, the money for their drugs so mm -hmm. that's kind of effect that's how it affects people who don't take drugs in one way you know your house could be burgled your shop could be rifled your car could be broken into you know your handbag snatched you know all those kind of acquisitive crimes an awful lot of them can be kind of uh, attributed to um, addictive drugs, drug mm -hmm. use or, uh, you know, problematic drug use. On the other hand, then you have the recreational users who think, well, they're not the problem because I'm only spending, let's say, 10 euros a week on drugs. Well, the Think Before You Buy campaign looked at the NACDA figures for uh, 2016, I think it was, and... Uh, they said that 9% uh, of all adults between 15 and 64 had tried drugs, mm -hmm. you know, in the last year. So we took that figure to say, well, that was, you know, a week. They took it once a week because they didn't say, they just said they tried drugs in the last year. They didn't say how many times in the last year. They didn't say how much money mm -hmm. they spent or anything else. So we just took that figure and we worked out that the 9% um, worked out at 369,000 people every week using drugs, you know, once a week. Now, but we only attributed 10 euros to that. Mm -hmm. So if those 369 people were only were using drugs and only spending 10 euros, that would make, a, that would um, provide 196 million to drugs gangs. So you can see where people might think that it's those who are uh, dependent on drugs that are the really big problem. But in actual fact, if you look at the underlying causes, and this is where people who end up being addicted come from, 
it's the recreational drug use. Mm. So the recreational drug use is the underlying issue. And by and taking that 10 euro, you're facilitating a mathematical sum that some people would have taken a little bit, tried it, walked away, and yeah. other people would have taken a more weekly yeah, habit. Yeah. And if you had a weekly habit, 10 euro wouldn't get you... <laughs> No, the bus well, well I'm, I, I'm just dabbling into yeah. the podcast bit myself. And so we've just completed a podcast and we call it One Step Ahead, you know, one, two and three. You know, there's three podcasts so far and we are going to have our fourth. But the second one was talking to a young lad who's, uh, who is struggling big time with uh, a weed um, addiction. And according to him, he said that... Uh, uh, a habit, a, a kind of a mild habit where you have one joint in the morning and one in the evening might cost you around 150 a week. Mm. So we're just estimating 10 euros a week at 100, and that would make 196 million. But the latest figures from the HRB say that, um, now I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here, so I might be wrong. I might be wrong. They said one in four had tried drugs. Mm. And that works out at nearly 900,000 people. So where the Safer Blanchestown or the Think Before You Buy campaign looked at, you know, we estimated it back in 2016. So it's almost tripled, you know, if they use the same measure, if you understand. So you're talking you know about, I mean? if you use your same measure, you're talking about 600 million going into the pockets of the drug dealers. Exactly. And that's at a very, very, and when I was talking to senior guard, uh, guards about this, they say that's a very, very conservative it sure estimate. Is. It absolutely is. And I mean, I can see the top end of the scale and the kind of money that's washing around there. It's unbelievable. And like really when you talk about drugs, you know, a lot of it is these figures. It's like the developers when you're talking about developers and it's like, you know, they owe 300 million. Yeah. yeah. How many zeros is that? Yeah, and it's yeah. the same really with the with the drug lords that they're, um, you know, the money is just so phenomenal. But what you have done is you've brought it down, back down to the to the ground, the yeah. figures, and you've looked at it in a very re realistic way. And reasonable, we hope. And you you're know. bringing that message in to the schools. Wherever we can get in, we, we, we'll bring it. And again, I just, uh, I'd like to emphasise, of course, uh, drug taking is uh, a problem for young people. It's also a problem for older people. I mean, I was in a local pub in Fingers uh, about well, pre-COVID. I keep saying last year, but yeah, you know, you did forget that there had been a, nearly a two-year gap there when my brother was home from Australia. And when I went into the into the bathroom, for, into the gents, there was four or five men older than me, who were almost in their 70s, I would say. And they were queuing up to go in to, to do their line of cocaine. So, it's 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 not just in the 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 local authority areas. It's 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 just as much an issue, especially the recreational use, and the money that's providing to criminal gangs. That's just as much an issue in Dublin Four, and in the professional classes, if you like, as it is in anywhere else in the country. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a societal problem that we have. We have this notion that we're not doing any harm, and in actual fact, we're doing massive harm. And uh, it's it's going to get worse because um, the weed smoking is just gone through the roof as far as my experience is. And if I speak to any guards, if I speak to youth workers or school teachers, you know, they'll say, look, it's it's just phenomenal. Uh, when I, I when I do get the opportunity to speak with young people, a group of young people, I'll always ask them how many estimate how many of your friends would would use uh, weed at the weekend. Or whenever, you know, and they would always say, I think the very lowest was about 
40%, 30%, you know. Mm. So that's in any one group. Some of them estimate like 100%, which is kind of a little bit too much, I would say. You know what I mean? But if, if, if that's true, now I know the SBAD, which is a European study, um, they would say that weed smoking is gone. Well, they, they refer to it as cannabis, which is just uh, trying to make it a soft cuddly, give it a cuddly name like cannabis. And then it deflects the seriousness of, of, of actually using this product, you know. Because weed now is kind of, I think, almost 10 times stronger than what would have been referred to as grass or cannabis back in, in the 80s, early 70s, or late 70s, early early 80s. You know, so the strength is, is, is different. And so they keep referring to it as cannabis, and they should really be calling it weed. And because weed is completely different, and cannabis covers a multitude, cannabis kind of says it's a plant, it's organic, it's, you know, it's a natural product, uh, it's non-addictive, um, it harms no one. You know what I mean? Everyone is doing it. They're going to legalize. They've all these kind of, you know, positive spins on it. When in actual fact, in my view, it's like calling um, heroin milk of the poppy. Give it a soft, cuddly name, and sure we can say that you know it cures pain. It's you know it's great for this, and it's great for like get your toothache. You know what I mean? If you have a toothache, if you have a if you break your leg, you still be able to play football. You know, there's lots of spins you can put on anything. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, really. The, the message that young people are getting and the message that uh, parents are getting because even some parents will say, ah, it's just a bit of weed. You know, but you have to realise what weed is. I've spoken to uh, three or four different groups now in the last two weeks and I will always add, these are groups of young people from, say, 15 up to about 19 or 20 and I've asked them because one of the lads on, the, on our podcast, he said that weed was addictive. So I never said it, but I asked, I said, do you agree with that? And it's nearly, yeah, you're nearly universal. Oh, yeah, once you start, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. So that's nearly universal. And if you go to the drug treatment centres, the likes of Cool Mine or any drug treatment centre in the country, now they have, you know, when you're, there's an assessment done on every person that comes in, you know, and so it's filed and it's kept. So they're, they're accurate figures. And 99% of people who are, go in for treatment into in for drug treatment, for let's say illicit drug treatment into the likes of Cool Mine or any other treatment centre, they'll say that the very first illicit drug that they took was uh, weed, mm. you know, or cannabis. So there has to be a link. There has to be a kind of a continuum along it's the It's opening the door into the next drug for many people. What yeah. you're talking about really in all of this is marketing. And, you know, everything is marketed either be it by lobby groups or, you know, through open marketing by companies of their products and their brands and all the rest of it. But when it comes to drugs, um, it's a little bit more skewed. It's not quite as clear as that. Well, it's very subtle insofar as people don't realise they're being marketed, mm-hmm. if you like. I mean, if you're looking at it, the TV and you see an ad for a television, you understand, right, there's people trying to, trying to market, trying to sell this to me, mm-hmm. you know, just in case I'm thinking of buying a car. Uh, but there's lots of people close their ears to the marketing that's going on, if you like, around drug taking and weed smoking and things like that, because the only voice they hear are the people who either support who support it or want it changed or want something done with it. People who don't use it or who think it's nothing got to do with them, they don't put their tokens worth in and say, no, I don't think that should happen. Or tell me why that should happen. And what, where, why don't you... If you want... Um, and I'm not arguing one way or the other. My job is not to argue for or against uh, 
legislation change, legislative change around whether uh, it's legalised or decriminalised or anything like that. My job is just to look at, you know, the underlying causes of, of, of the problem. The underlying, and I hope I've, I've articulated well enough there to say that it was um, it's recreational drug use is the powerhouse. It's where all the money comes from. Mm-hmm. And if people are saying, well, look, if all you need to do is legalise it and then that'll take all the money out of it the criminal hands well say well go and agitate for that but stop providing the money to the at the moment market. until it's mm-hmm. until it's uh, legal and as regards the marketing because what you're doing is a kind of a kickback to it it's it's not unlike what the government uh have done in the past we spoke about with the drink driving campaign there was a time in Ireland that it was absolutely okay to drink drive. I mean, there was just no question about it and you could be very open about doing it. Wasn't that long ago. And the mindset was, and many a person would say, they drove better with drink on board. And you'll hear the same argument with people who say, I I drive better when I'm stoned. Mm. You'll hear it it on chat shows, you'll hear hear people saying it, but in actual fact, it's not true. You might think it. The point being that a campaign, a marketing campaign, which highlighted the dangers probably of it. When it came to smoking, you see, you know, campaigns that have, look, people are always going to do what they want to do. You're not going sure, to try yeah. and stop somebody doing yeah, it. Like, we're not trying to judge anyone in no. what we're saying here. That's definitely But in case. smoking, certainly, when you look at the money issue there, you know, financial has been very much part of the targeting of the anti-smoking campaign. They will, you know, they'll advertise on what you can save, what you can do with that money, all this thing. It's all, you know, a, a mindset. But um, that's what you're basically trying to highlight you're sure, trying yeah. to you're trying well, to kick pretty, back yeah, yeah, yeah. and it seems to me like that some of those bigger campaigns which were government backed be the the smoking one and the, the anti drink driving they yeah. worked eventually well, well people like eating bread is soon forgotten i suppose that's the very first thing like i can remember when i was younger and on saturday night you had to get to the pub early now i suppose young people walk by the older pubs now see these massive big car parks and wonder why they would have or, or need such a car park. Well, when I was younger, you had to get to the pub early or you wouldn't get a car park in space. You know, so the car park was full of people, you know, who would drink and drive. And everyone done it, you know. So you didn't go in and have one or two, you know. There might have been an odd person who wouldn't have one or two, but certainly not in the circles that... I seen, you know, people went in at seven or eight o'clock in the evening and stayed till closing time. Now, closing time then was probably a bit earlier. You know but Philip, I mean? it was never legal to do it. But it's just never people legal. did it and oh, it yeah, was kind of a societal well, thing, wasn't it? Well, if you look at Garda Patrol, I have yeah. a Garda Patrol clip I'll share with you. And they said that the, I think it's the Garda catchy statement. You know, if you've had five or six and you've lost count and you have the car. And you've had five or six points and, you, and you've lost count. Just have the two more and then go home. So what year was that? Oh, I don't know. I think 1970. I'm not sure. You know, so it's... it's um, you know, be sensible. <laughs> Just have two more and go home in your yeah. car. Yeah. Um, but, you know, look, that's the so, way it was. And it was yeah. acceptable across society. And, and that's why I say, when I say eating bread is soon forgotten, how in the name of God, people now, when I show this, that clip, to kids, they don't believe it's a real guard. Yeah, it they sounds don't like believe. a sitcom. They're saying, but the guard, like, they just can't get their head around and yeah. the guards would give you that kind of advice. Um, so 
people forget how we were then, mm-hmm. how it was so socially acceptable to sit in a pub, get pissed and smoke 20 cigarettes, you know, and to have cigarette smokes everywhere and cigarette butts on the floor and then the ashtrays overflowing and, you know, all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. And now the big change, but the big change at that time was um, mother against mothers against drink driving. Mm-hmm. And they put up a fairly, you know, very robust campaign and it took a while for them to get the government back in. And uh, eventually then, they, they, they developed a moral code. Mm. So after what happened after that was, I suppose, their campaign was they highlighted the amount of young people that were killed, you know, uh, drinking and driving and the horrors around drinking and driving, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But now all you have to say here is never, ever drink and drive. Everybody knows the reasons why you shouldn't do exactly. it. Exactly. So that's why the campaign is never, ever drink and drive. So it has just got into the mindset. It, it's, it's got, got, got into, into our mindset. culture. It's got into our culture. Yeah. And younger people now, like if I went into the pub now and put the car keys on the table, I mean, I'd be roasted yeah. if I had a pint. Yeah. Like I won't be car keys on if I drink water or lemonade. Yeah. But if I had a pint again, I mean... And it's not to but say... my own friends will do it, my own age group, like, you know. This is it, and it's not to say that people don't do it. Of course, people are going to... You're always going to have people who do it. Yes. Uh, that's not what we're, we're saying, but it's just the idea that marketing... Yeah. ...an idea and a mindset and a shame. Is that what it is? A kind of a... You're making well, it's people a moral cold. You morally, you don't want to do... You don't want to be associated with that. Making you know? people think what it is they're doing and what the results can be and what pain can be brought yeah, yeah. by their actions. Well, so now, we have a situation yeah. now that we have huge amount of drug use in the country. We have the problematic drug use, which ends up in, in um, you know, in rehabilitation centres. And of course, that can be, you know, underlying issues with mental health, depression, etc. And any substance can become, abu- uh, you know, addictive to people. But we have also running parallel to that this massive recreational drug use problem in this country. And it has become so acceptable that people will get up off a bar stool, go into a loo anywhere across the country and take a line of cocaine. And as you say, they can be 70. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, they don't realise it. What, what, what I try to promote is that the part of the package. Mm-hmm. You're either in it or you're not. I mean, if you're part of the demand, so if you're cre- creating the demand by getting off the bar stool and, and going in and doing your line of cocaine, well, then you're you're creating the man. You're part of the package. Mm-hmm. You can't go then sleep off your hangover on Sunday morning and go into work, school or college and start complaining about, you know, all the drug dealing. And, the, and y- you can't forget, people think it's a passive behaviour. They either don't, they're unaware or they ignore the wider social consequences of what they're doing. And I mentioned a couple of people there who were who were killed um, by, you know, either by design to, to, so that they didn't leave any, you know, trace behind them or, or evidence behind or because of mistaken identity. And there's been a hell of a lot more of mistaken identities than, mm-hmm. uh, than you can shake a stick at. Uh, so they're all part of that package. This is what they're doing because all the mortars are to control the sale of recreational drugs in an area because there's massive amount of money involved in it. Mm-hmm. Now, some people think, well, I'm only spending 10 or 20 or 30 euros. So that's nothing. Well, it's not about your 10 or 20 or 30 euros. Look around you. How many of your friends are doing it? You know, look at the example that we gave with just our 10 euros. Add it up. 
and add it up, mm. you know. And, and you can see then why, because yeah. as you've pointed out, they're they're not fighting over the sale of the drugs, they're fighting over the money. All the money. It's nothing got, they've loads of drugs. Mm. Drugs get seized all the time. You don't see them losing the head over that. They'll get more in and they, no, it's, they fight over control of the area, mm. you know, and I think that's just the reality. And so, Philip, how long have you been working in this area in Blanchardstown and how did you get into it? Well, I I, I, I started off working in uh, a long time ago in Aer Lingus and then I, I, I got a degree in psychology and then I moved to Youth Reach and then the Youth Blanchardstown Youth Service and then they were setting up policing forums. Uh, they had a, a pilot one, I think, in the north inner city and then in 2006... Um, I applied for and got the job. But we were setting one up here. So what's that? Six, 16 years here now. Yeah. So and have you always had an interest in, in youth? And in yeah, well, I've always had an interest to grow off of this kind of social, not social work, but work and, you know, community work, you know. Um, and this is a big social issue. So I, I, I think um, it's, it's a very interesting campaign to be involved in and to be trying to get off the ground, you know. So... Yeah, I've been involved in it for quite some time. And in your role, like working, you know, with youth and obviously being completely aware constantly um, of these issues, what sort of things are you hearing on the ground, not just in Blanchardstown, but in the wider communities that are affected by by drugs? What sort of issues are you hearing about, for example, parents of kids who are using is there a lot of intimidation coming in to collect the money you know are they are you hearing about kids teenagers being lured into working in the drug gang because they want the the runners and all those other trappings yeah well i suppose lured in is probably there, there are they will have younger kids running from a to b you know what i mean and then you know they might start them off running from one corner to the next and then reward them maybe with a new bike or something like that, you know. And uh, in some areas where kids are, you know, they don't have a lot of money, that's an easy way to, you know, to get new things, if you like. Um, so that, that that kind of attracts kids in. Other ways are, you know, they 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 have their, the, the dealer will have their regular customer, if you like, and then they'll say, well, okay, you're buying a bag of weed off me every week, so here's here's four bags, you know, once for yourself, sell the other three, and then we, we call it quits on that. And then all of a sudden the four bags go missing, you know, or the guards seize them or whatever, you know, and then, okay, now you owe me, you know, 200 euros and 50 for your own, you know, so you better do, you know, do another job for me, you know, until you pay off the debt. And the, and people don't realise that they're getting into a kind of a business transaction now where everything has to be paid for. There's no there's no getting away from it. And so when larger and larger amounts of money are involved and amounts of, when larger amounts of drugs are involved, there's larger amount of money. And of course, what parents would say is that, well, Johnny only had, said he only had about five grand, but they want 10 off me. You know, they want 10,000 off me. When the kids can't pay for the drugs that either they used or they lost, or what uh, uh, a, a good scam is, or a, a kind of a, a fairly regular one is where they'll get some uh, kid that's kind of easily led, you know, and uh, gullible kind of a young lad or a young girl, and they'll say, here, you know, there's, you know, four bags of weed or whatever. 
hide it in the shed, you know, in your garden, and, and put it in under the, the shelf. Your dad will never find it in there. Of course, the gullible kid does that, and then they jump over the back wall and rob it back. Then they say, well, when they get that for me? And of course, oh, it's gone, it's robbed, now you owe me. Mm-hmm. You know, and you owe me bloody bad. And so then they'll heap the pressure on it, and that young lad is, you know, it's, it's, it's a you nightmare scenario. Book with it. But it sounds a little bit like a pyramid scheme, and there's people trying to claw their way up, and maybe, you know, oh, like come across. There's, well, there's one thing, there's no friends in drugs. No. There's no friends whatsoever. What you get, you pay for. End off. You know, um, and if you can't pay, well, then your family will pay. And there have been instances where, you know, people have died by suicide because of drugs old. And we've heard then that, you know, the parents were still targeted, you know. And even though that child might have been lost to, you know, so it's, there's no friends, there's no sympathy, there's no, um, there's no empathy whatsoever, you know. If you owe a thousand euros, you pay a thousand euros, or if not, you'll pay more, you know. And the intimidation will will, will will ratchet up, you know. Mm. Um, there's there, there's reports of intimidation right across the country, you know. Um, there's there's even been TV programs on it. Yeah, yeah. you know. You so see, so it, it's there. The evidence is there. Unfortunately, for people who are intimidated, they they don't know where to go or what to do. Now there is a national family support network. Uh, in the country, so if anyone is, uh, is affected by drug debt intimidation and they'd like some support, well, their first part of call should be their local drugs task force. There's either a local or a regional drugs task force in every area, and so if they if they contact them, they they they'll get support. If you can't find or you don't know where your regional drugs task force is, ask your local doctor or go into your community centre, somewhere where there's kind of you know community activity. They should know. But one way, you can go online, you'll find it easily enough online, but some people aren't au fait with online. Or, and don't be afraid, you know, if you need to speak to the guards, they'll meet you in plain clothes somewhere. You know, they'll support you, you know, that kind of a way. So your ultimate advice would be to ask for help. Oh, ask don't for help. Try and don't try to manage it on your own, mm-hmm. no. And because there is help there. And the National Family Support Network, um, they have local family support groups in each area. Uh, and they're a great source of uh, comfort to people who find themselves either in drug debt intimidation or uh, whose children are, you know, badly affected by drugs or either have problematic or, or uh, are addicted to drugs. Um, these parents support each other in, in, in kind of, you know, how to, how to manage that situation and how you can support your child. Or the best way to support, and that can only, that can be kind of like um, one parent saying, "Well, I tried this and it worked, and I tried that and it didn't work," you know. And then it's up to the parent. Well, I might try a mix of both, or I might try one or the other. You know that kind of way. So there's a lot of experience around the table, I suppose, in, in dealing with these and issues. Given all the problems that it's causing, the use of drugs, the recreational use of drugs, is causing within society. Why has there not been more of a national movement, a backing movement of the likes of the campaigns you've come up with? I mean, the last one I can remember must have been in the 1980s, Just Say No. Well, that was, that. see, that gave uh, campaigns a bad press, you know, and that was kind of from uh, Nancy Reagan, you know, that era where she was to just say no to drugs. And it, it, it kind of, it, it brushed over an awful lot of the social, I suppose, uh, triggers or so the, the social. It was too much social, of a blunt object, was too it? Too much, yeah. They didn't take account of the nuances for mm. every people, different areas, different 
communities, how your psychology works, how, you know, yeah. you know what I think before you buy campaign is it's, it's, it's trying to bring it down to a level where everybody understands it's not a judgmental. It's not separate to everything else. Yeah. It's to support all the health-led, uh, all the health uh, initiatives that are out there. So it would support, like, the, the new national drug strategy, which is, you know, health-led, health-based, mm. you know what I mean? So it would support all of them. Because what you're trying to do, what the Think Before You Buy campaign is trying to do, is, is to get in under, is to get in before people even start to experiment with drugs or to get people when they... They, they they start with the recreational drug use and then they think they can think mm. about what they're doing, that their their uh, behaviour has consequences and not only consequences for themselves but it can have consequences for like your friends, your your community, your family, your brothers and sisters, your aunts, your uncles, because once the problem starts, I mean, nobody knows. There's nobody who will go went into any or goes into any of the the drug treatment programs. None of them ever set out to become addicted to drugs. Mm. You know, now you'll get this uh, uh, El Guff that, well, it's not El Guff, there's a lot of people who have mental health issues that they don't know about and drugs kind of stop. Yeah, but it's not the only reason, you know, taking yeah. drugs will kind of, you know, reduce those kind of feelings of, you know, whether it's inferiority or nerves or anxiety or whatever and you can relax and you forget about your worries and troubles, you know. But there are other things that can bring you on. Just because you might just like them. Mm. You might like the feeling of being out of your head. And you don't realise that, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're getting more and more turned on to these drugs. You're getting more and more in tune with them. So you can't wake, you can't get through the day without them. And you think you're relaxing. I'll just have a smoke of weed. It relaxes me. Well, it's actually building your anxiety in the first instance. You know, your tolerance is going up. So your anxiety isn't to do with anything else other than, you know, you're dying for a, 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 a smoke of weed or a talk, whatever you call it. So in that sense, you're, 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 once you start using drugs, it can go in any direction. Mm. Do you know that way? Now, people will say, I've heard people say it. Sure, I've been smoking weed for the last 20 years and I've never had any problems with it. I'm not addicted, but you've been smoking it for 20 years. Why don't you just stop? And they'd say, well, I don't want to. Well, you know, why would you want to keep doing something that's harming? You know, and again, the Think Before Your Boy campaign comes into and it. And then obviously the counter-argument, people will say, well, you might be have been drinking pints for that long and you don't want to stop because you enjoy it. But it's a it's a difference because it's illegal. Yeah, yeah. And see, I, uh, this is not a moral argument, you know, what one should do and what one shouldn't do. This is just pointing out the, the fact that the money you're putting in has, what you're doing has consequences mm. way beyond any consequence that you might have for yourself. So you're trying to target the consumer really and in the same way yeah. looking for to have that same mental attitude that people are going around a supermarket are watching for free range eggs as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, um, yeah. You or know, looking at the environmental impact of what they're buying, you know, those kind of things where people have a kind of a social conscience. But why do you think those messages are more important to governments and not only our own? than the message that, you know, purchasing drugs for recreational use causes a lot of harm to a lot of people. And, you know, why are those messages about climate change, about, you know, coffee farmers, whatever it is, why are they more valuable, do you think, to governments than... Well, it's just, it's like five uh, chicks in a nest, whichever, you know, shouts the loudest, gets the most, you know, that kind of a way. I'm a one-person project here, 
uh, in Blanchestown um, and we've come up with what we, we think is a very good um, campaign mm. to get people to think before they buy. But we don't have, we need to kind of get it up the, up the ladder a bit, you know what I mean, to get somebody else higher up, if you like, to take it on. Take it on with it. 100%. You, need, you, know you I mean? need more You need more backing and more recognition yes, yeah, for it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think people, I, I, I try to make the argument and I try to get people to see the value of it first, you know, and comparing it to the drink driving uh, campaign, I think is is good. But it's an eye opener for me when I look when I when I show that video to the kids and they just can't you know they can't contemplate they can't understand that that was real and it's like they don't believe it you know it's just unbelievable for them and so that kind of says to me well you know eating bread is soon forgotten and so all of us now have forgotten that message you know that you know and you can change people's attitudes you know um, not because you want to or whatever. But because what they're doing is causing harm. And people will, if, if it's kind of trivialised and normalised, then people then can ignore, you know, the, the, the harm that they're causing, mm. you know, and they'll think what they're doing is passive and it's not harm or anyone else. Well, so, food for thought. So, Philip Jennings, thank yeah. you very much. Okay, and remember, think before you buy. <laughs> you always harm someone. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.